scripture reading um, is from Acts chapter 16. And we continue our study of the book of Acts. We are now in verse 5 of chapter 16. Paul and Silas have begun their second missionary journey um, in Derby and Lystra. They have enlisted Timothy to go with them. And now in verse 5, we continue reading. And I'll read to the end um, of the chapter. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of that city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed 
and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent sergeants, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And let us... The, the missionary journeys of Apostle Paul. We, we read last time up to verse 10 and we saw that Paul was... Um, guided by the Lord two places. He was not allowed to go. And then in verse 9 of chapter 16, he had a vision. I'll begin by reading verse 9 of Acts 16. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Where, where should a missionary go? Where should he start? Think of, think of a missionary team or think of the ministry of a church. And, and a church is considering, where, where should we go? Where, where should we minister? Where is it that the gospel is needed? When you think of the reality that there are millions of souls everywhere and that there is darkness everywhere, it almost seems overwhelming and impossible to decide. You you may have read the last um, average of the population of the world is around 7.88 billion people. Um, In the Middle East alone, there's around 411 million, many of whom have not heard the gospel or understood it very clearly. Um, There are around 100 people groups that are considered unreached. 
Missionary agencies have have a way of of helping missionaries think in terms of where the need is the greatest. And when they think of people whom may be as a whole or because they still don't have the Bible or because the access to to missionaries has been very restricted, there are around a hundred of such groups of people. And some of the names among them are the Tajik people, the, the Arab people. Of, of many different sectors, the Azerbaijani people, there's also the Burmese people, one, one group that I saw the numbers, it's the Bengali people, a group, people group in India, there's around 134 million Bengali people, that is com- comparatively the whole population of England and France and Belgium put together, those are, those are people who, in a, in a great amount, because of course you never know every single soul, have not yet heard the gospel very clearly. In the days of Paul, unless you were a Jew, and you would have heard of the God of the Jews and Jehovah, and that there was a promised Messiah, and it was by faith in this future Savior that you would have light and you would be saved, unless you were of the Jew. And, and you can see why we've been encountering many, many God-fearing Gentiles, because they would come um, in contact with these Jews, and these many Jews were, were missionaries of sorts, and were causing people to see that there was a God to be trusted, there was a Messiah to be hoped, and, and these Gentiles were believing those promises. Unless you were um, in a direct contact with Jewish scripture and a Jewish person yourself, you would otherwise be in utter darkness of idolatry, of false gods, of superstitions, of false religion, religions that were cruel. Hopeless. We, we have a little bit of, of what follows this woman who was, of course, living in in. in Heathenism and her masters were also pagan and she was owned by them and they were making profit out of her. You know, when, when you hear um, humanists and you hear anthropologists saying that, that missionaries are, are affecting societies negatively, that they, that they are not allowing the peoples of this world to follow along in their traditions and their habits, they, they are completely blinding their eyes to the reality that these people groups are not happy. They know something's wrong. And especially those who are, in a sense, the least of these in these societies, they are the slaves. They are the marginalized. They are the ones who are suffering the most. And if they were to hear someone like Paul who would come in their way and deliver them from their slavery or from their bondage, they would be very happy. And the anthropologists turn their blind eye to that because they're not living with the reality that there is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual world. And Spurgeon has a whole sermon on this verse 9, which is the call of the heathen, the cry. They are crying for help. A lot of them don't even know they're crying for help. But when you hear of these young people who are going into lines of despair, that is a cry for help. It doesn't matter that they don't understand who's to help them. They are crying for help. In the days of Paul, in a sense, anywhere Paul would have gone, he would have been used. 
going back to our own nation, in our, in, in our own society, um, not too long ago, in terms of all of history, almost every village, almost every hamlet, almost every city, and in countries like England, Scotland, Wales, parts of Ireland, Holland, Germany, Sweden, and in America, had either a great knowledge of the gospel... Or they at least were very acquainted with it. In the days of the colonial America, you may have heard how during the first great awakening, as John Wesley and George Whitfield went up and down the 13 colonies, it was reported that in a very um, optimistic, but seems to be very sincere estimate that basically every person in the colonies would have seen or heard these preachers. And after the Second Great Awakening, Christianity became more well-known and appreciated in the majority of the United States and, and England. There was also revival going on there. And even though, sadly, um, today many are unchurched, and we do live in a world where, where the majority are not going to church, I, I don't know if it's been your experience but repeatedly, you still meet with people who say, well, you're evangelizing them or you're saying that you're a Christian. And they'll invariably say, my mom used to take me to church. Or they'll say, my grandmother. And I say that because that's what I usually hear most. Or they'll say, my grandmother gave me a Bible. Even, even the president of recently had that story as well. My mother. One generation might not be going to church anymore, but my parents, my grandparents. See, it's, it's, it's that paragraph that I just said. It was true. But today, it's not true. Today, most in our generations are, are unchurched. There are other countries where, where, where we do hear of even a revival and a great work of the Lord in South America and Africa in parts of the Middle East. And because, yes, missionaries have been going to these places, and the word has been spreading, and the cries for help have been heeded, and people are repenting. But even as this is happening in our own nation and in Europe, you, you know the story. It's, it's a reversal. This is a mission field. Where would God want you to go? Where should we minister? Have you prayed that way? Have you prayed, Lord, where shall I go? Where can a group of young people go evangelize? Where, where should we go either door to door or to some neighborhood or, or to some park? Where can we make thy name known? God will close doors and he will open doors. And he gives visions from God's word. We know that for sure. I can't guarantee that it will give you a vision, and that's not how God has been working. But see, this vision that was given to Paul, you could say is a vision that's given to you. And this is a principle from the Sermon of Spurgeon. There are souls crying out for help. You must pray that you would hear. 
And when you meet the first unbeliever who looks at you because he's under great, great depression and, and he wants whatever help you can give and you, and you see those glassy eyes and tears forming and they don't understand the problem, but you know of Christ and of Jesus and eternity and forgiveness. That is a cry for help. Will you hear and will you heed? And this is what we find in in this passage. And I'm I'm giving a little longer introduction because this is really the introduction for the next couple sermons as we hope to go through Acts in this, at, at least I hope, to conclude a great portion of the second missionary journey. If you look at your Bibles, this is Philippi. The next chapter is Thessalonica. Then he goes to Berea, then Athens, then Corinth. And from Corinth, he goes to Ephesus. These, these are names, almost all of them, in the exception of Berea, that we have letters in the Bible. We, we all know of the Philippians. We know Thessalonians. We know Corinthians. And these are the places that Paul and his missionary band are going. And remember the first missionary journey where where they prayed and fasted. And then the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas. And and, and they began their missionary journey. And that was, in a sense, the spiritual heading of all that followed. They prayed, the Lord guided, souls were saved. Paul nearly died, but he was protected, he was spared. Remember we've been seeing this, that, that prayer and what follows is very connected. God is answering prayer. And and now this is a second missionary journey, and this is what we find. Paul is already in it, and he's going certain directions. Remember, so far, he's been going to places that he had been before, confirming the churches, seeing how things are, not too many new places. When he tries to go to Asia, the Lord forbids him. He, He is in Mysia, for they try to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Doors are closing. We're not given details. We're not told if, if it was a spirit that spoke verbally to them and they heard it or, or if it was where they saw that there were um, difficulties in a certain direction. And then there was this vision. And then they went to Philippi. They obeyed the vision. And so in our third point, three points, as we see Lydia's open heart and the damsel's double deliverance and the jailer's baptized family... Um, the way we need to understand this, these are the souls that, that were crying for help in a, in a spiritual way. And the Lord brought the attention to these missionaries and sent them in that way. And they were helped by the Lord. See, the Lord is doing His work. And we will see this very, very emphatically, especially as we begin with Lydia. Lydia's open heart. Because an interesting thing about Lydia is we we read here that she was not from Philippi. She was from Thyatira. And Thyatira was in Asia. And Asia was one of the places that Paul was forbidden to go. And so this is what we have. Paul was going to go to Asia to minister to many other people related to Lydia. Maybe even some of her relatives. But the Lord says no. Then he sends them in a way where he meets a woman from Asia, just not there. And and the, the picture we have is this. The Lord is saying, I want to save Lydia and her household. And what we have is the reality of how everyone that has their souls touched by the grace of God, as Paul meets them, even in jails, it is the Lord saying, I want to save this damsel. I want to save this jailer. So you will have to go there, Paul. 
I want to save his whole household. I want you to have dinner in his home. The night that he's delivered, and you were, you were kind of delivered, but you're still going to stay there at night. You can only be delivered through the law. But I want you there, Paul, because I want that jailer. I want Lydia. I want the damsel. And see, it follows. I want the souls in Thessalonica. I want the souls in Berea. I want the souls in Athens. I want the souls in Corinth. And sometimes we'll have names. Sometimes they're nameless. But beloved, this is then how it applies to you and to me. That if you're a true believer, it is the Lord saying, I wanted you. And that's why you're saved, because I love you. You never knew that I existed. You never knew that I was here. But I loved you from the very beginning. And this is what's precious about infant baptism. When we have our precious ones and we present them to the Lord, these little ones are saying nothing. They're asking nothing. They know nothing. But the Lord is saying, I love you. And I put you in a family where you're going to hear about me. Your mom and dad, by His grace, will be faithful to me and bring you to church and hear from Sunday school to sermons that I am your Lord. And that's so precious that every single soul, it's the Lord as a shepherd. It's, it's so connected with what we saw this morning, Isaiah 40, and where the Savior who will come will be like a shepherd, and He will tend the little lambs. And, and if they can't walk, He will take them up on His bosom. And He will stay behind with those who are trailing behind, and He will feed the sheep. This is what we have. Look, let's look at her salvation, Lydia's salvation. It was, it was very simple. Paul arrived in Philippi, there was something out of the normal. Um, He usually goes to synagogues, but it's clear that there were no synagogues because there were not enough Jewish men. There had to be 10 Jewish men for it to justify to be a, for there to be a synagogue um, justifiably. And and if there were no synagogues, it's an indication that that hadn't happened yet. And and, in the text, what, what matches this reality is that then he does find a group of women who are by the river praying. So there were women who understood the Jewish faith. Lydia, maybe it was mainly Jewish women, but this Lydia was a Gentile. And Paul goes there. He, he finds God-fearing people, and he shares about Jesus. Remember what Paul does everywhere he goes. He says, okay, you know everything you learned from the Old Testament? Well, the Messiah has come. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw Him resurrect. He died on the cross. He was supposed to suffer because he died as a sacrifice. That would be, in a sense, a summary of his evangelization. Now, there was something that was unlikely. Remember, as we've been seeing these missionary journeys, the the blessing and the amazing thing is that the, the pattern has been, Paul arrives... You know, yes, here aside is a list of all the troubles that could happen. But this has been somewhat of a pattern where, where some of the Jews would believe. Sometimes you hear some Jews or even many women, some Jewish women and many Jewish women, and many Gentile women and many Gentile men. So this is the pattern. Some Jewish men, some Jewish women, sometimes many Jewish women. Many Jewish, many Gentiles, men and women. The Gentiles always seem to be more. 
Because to them, that was the great, great, great good news, that they could be part of God's people. But Paul arrives in Philippi. There's no synagogue, so there's, he can't, there's no some Jewish men. There's not even some Jewish women that we hear of being converted. We, we don't hear right now yet of many Gentile men. It's one Gentile woman. Calvin says this to, to help us understand what could be possibly working through their minds. Remember, they're human. And so they could be thinking, what's going on? When they entered the principal city, they found no one they could help and had to go into the countryside to speak in an obscure and deserted place. Even there they found no one or no man who would listen to their teaching. They found just one woman who wanted to be a disciple of Christ, and she was a foreigner. With such results, who would not have thought that they had been foolish to have undertaken the journey? But the Lord makes it look as though His work is humble and weak, so that His power may eventually shine more clearly. It was good that the beginning of the kingdom of Christ were like this, so that they might savor of the humility of the cross. See, for us, we're thinking, one woman, this is great, this is amazing. And it is, of course, but the pattern had not been that way. The pattern had been quite a lot of people. And we're going to see it continues to be this when he goes to Thessalonica and and Athens and Corinth. Uh, Look what we read in Athens in chapter 17, verse 34. It says, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. There's always a plurality. But right now there's just this Lydia. And so, in Paul's humanity, you can understand he could be thinking, did we do the right thing? It was a man in my vision asking for help from Macedonia. This woman is from Thyatira. She's not a man, but I helped her. The Lord helped her. See, that vision was was just like an emblem. And notice what the vision said, come over into Macedonia and help us. He was, he was like a, 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 a symbol, as it were, of all the millions of souls that needed the help of the gospel. And Lydia was the first whose soul is helped. And what happened to Lydia was, it is explained in such a precious way of, of what conversion is, where, where it says that the Lord opened her heart. In, in verse um, 14, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. That's a summary of conversion, to have an open heart. And what was happening was Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 being fulfilled. Remember, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. 
Little children, you know how we studied this whole week about Moses. The whole problem with, with Pharaoh, remember, it's always repeated again and again that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh's was a stony heart. Moses would speak to his heart. It would almost as, as if deflect upon that heart and go somewhere else. And, and he wanted nothing to do with, with the truth that he was hearing about Jehovah. But when your heart is converted, that stony heart is broken and it turns into a heart of flesh which speaks of a, of a real heart, which speaks of a, of a spiritual heart, a living heart. A stony heart is dead, but a, a, a fleshly heart is, is a living heart. It's a heart that says, Paul, what you're telling me about the Messiah, I believe. If you saw that man on that road to Damascus and he told you he was Jesus who died on the cross, then he resurrected. So that means that the Messiah is alive. It means that when he died, sins can be forgiven. So I believe that. I believe it. And I want to serve God through Jesus. That's what was happening. That's what an open heart thinks like or does. And then there's an evidence. We see her salvation. And then just secondly, before we go to our second point, the evidence. There's like an immediate element of evidence. Um, There are two things that happened. Um, It says that, verse 15, And when she was baptized and her household. So that's the first thing. She received the sign of a covenant. Um, Remember, baptism was, was typifying, signifying this reality. I, I have sin, and I need someone to cleanse me. I cannot cleanse myself. I need forgiveness. And, 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 I, and I do believe that the one who died on the cross is the one through whom I can be forgiven. So he, she submitted to baptism with her household. That was one evidence of her conversion. It's not what saves you. But it is one more thing that points to a true salvation. And then this, uh, an element of life. And then, she, and then she said, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She becomes um, involved in the ministry of hospitality immediately. And, and this is the purest sense of hospitality is when you invite to your home not only people that need it, but people that you don't even know. Entertaining strangers. And it's usually because they need it, because they need a place to rest. And, and, and that's what she did. And it wasn't just Paul now. It was Paul and Silas. And it was also Timothy. And we know that by now, either he had already been with them, but this is traditionally where we believe Luke joined them. Um, if, I, if I point you to verse 10, um, this is the first place that we no longer read they or Paul, but we read we, so that the author of this letter is including him in the group. Verse 10 says, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. So now Luke's part of this party. And there's probably a couple other people who are helping them. So for Lydia to, to invite this whole crowd to come, not, not just for a dinner, but to stay in her home. It, it, she's saying, this will be your missionary base. You'll go in and out through my home. Will you come? 
She's even begging him to do it. If, if, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house. So look how beautiful her, her heart was open. And a proof of that is that she opens her home. See, none of these things are, are like an absolute truth in themselves. It's, if you submit to baptism, I, I can't say, of course, well, that absolutely means you're saved. And if you host a stranger, you can't say that absolutely means you're saved. But these are signs. They are fruit. And then as your life follows, it can be trailing along more and more of this fruit. And so that was Lydia's opened heart and it ends with her opened home. At the, at the very end of all we read, verse 40, it says, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. So she, she is the place where they rest. Hers, her house is the place. Now, secondly, let's look at the damsel. And I'm, I'm calling this point the damsel's double deliverance. That's the first thing we notice with the life of this damsel. As we look at the conversion that happened in her life, there, there was a double bondage. Because she's spoken of one who was possessed by a spirit, but she was also owned by these cruel masters who are making gain by her soothsaying. And so, in a, in a summary here, it's, it's obvious that the, 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 the evil spirits that would be connected to her gave her some kind of ability to speak of things that were not commonly known. And that, of course, made people interested and made people give money to hear. And that money went to the masters who owned her. She was in a double bondage. She was in bondage to the devil and in bondage to these slave masters. And here, beloved, we, we see a picture, a sad picture, but a, a real picture of what unbelief is. In many ways, it, it is always a double bondage. Because you're a slave to sin, and you end up being a slave to the devil. A slave to some vice. Or a slave to some people. If you have to live by pleasing a certain people, or else you feel you cannot live, it is a slavery of sorts. Unbelievers are never truly free. There is no love. Look at the life of this damsel. There is no fellowship, no grace, no mercy, no, no peace, no kindness. It is bondage, slavery, sadness, and sorrow. And, now notice the reality, even the masters who took advantage of her, they were also in a double bondage. Because they were in bondage to the devil and in bondage to their greed. And this is how God, the, the, the Satan operates. He, he makes people believe they're free. And even, you know, if you're, if you're the master of the slave, of course you're free. And, and look how powerful you are, what you can do. And those people think they're fine, but they're actually slaves as well. In many ways, there are slaves in deeper bondage still. And depending on, on the depths of unbelief, that enslavement is, is even more powerful. Think, 
Think of how Proverbs begins. And remember, we we hear of those evil men who are trying to tempt the simple-minded to join them in their thefts and in their mischief. See, they're saying... um, Come and join us. And, and if, he, if they will, they, they, that soul will be, as it were, a slave to those evil men. Think of a drug dealer. You know, if, you, if, you, if you listen to a drug dealer, you're now enslaved to the drug. Think of a husband who, who doesn't bring his children to church. Those little children are, in a sense, enslaved to that father who will, who will not show love to them or, or a mother and bring them to hear the word. But that father is enslaved as well. He's not free. It's a bondage that keeps him away from Christ. They serve the devil and they serve sin. And they need a double deliverance. And this is the good news. This is what God does. This is what Jesus does. And so, so it doesn't matter that it seems too hard. It doesn't matter that it's into the spiritual world. And how, how will Paul do this? And, and we, we don't understand why Paul allowed this lady to kind of follow them for quite a few days. And, and there's even the, the, the drama that she was, in a sense, advertising Paul for the peoples. Um, some have thought that, well, this is a great tactic of Satan where, where he tries to pretend that he is good. And maybe some people will go to her because if, if she's speaking of, of the way of salvation and God, well, that will attract maybe Jewish people and, and maybe God-honoring people to, to go have her services. And, and this is often how, how Satan operates. He, he uses enough truth to make you think something is safe, but it's actually poison. And we're not given the details of why Paul did not rebuke that spirit earlier. It is possible that it wasn't revealed to him that that was the case until it was obvious and he was grieved and he had enough of it and he turned to the lady and he spoke directly to the spirit. And he said in verse 18, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. See, he wasn't even speaking to the lady at this point. He understood that there was something beyond her own soul. She was possessed. And so he says, I command thee in the name of Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. She was delivered. She was delivered. Now when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Now, it's true we don't know the whole story here to know was she delivered also from her bondage to that slavery to them? We're not given that detail. I, I, I want to believe that now these men realize there's nothing to be gained and she will become part of the church. Maybe the church will redeem her so that she is free also in that civil way. But what we know for sure is she's relieved from her bondage to sin and her bondage to Satan because now she's delivered. And think, beloved, how precious this deliverance would be to her. Think in terms of identity. 
Nowadays, it's so much, right? The, the fashion. What, what is your identity? Be, be true to your identity. And there's, there's a lot to say to identity. It's a biblical thing. We do have an identity. And a believer's identity is in Christ. But let us think of this lady. And let us sit down with her in the days that all of this was going on. When she was still possessed. And we were to ask her, who are you? What is your identity? Who do you belong to? Can you imagine looking into those eyes that were probably so, so veiled with the darkness under which she was living? And she would probably look at you and not even understand this question because she belonged to those men and she belonged to this spirit that was so evil. She was a slave of men. She was a slave of an evil spirit. She was not her own. But all the while, and see this, that, that's not true though. That's what was happening. But all the while, she was the Lord's. Now go back to the reality, beloved, to that vision. Paul's there. He was told not to go to Asia. He was told not to go to Bithynia. And then a vision says, come over and help us. Lydia's been helped and her household. And now there's this damsel. And you see what the Lord is saying. Paul, this lady, she can't even understand who she belongs to. She doesn't know if she says the devil or she says these men. But she's mine. She's not theirs. And I will use you to deliver her. See, this is what God was saying through that vision. Come over and help us. That soul needed help. And, and, and yet, she, she, she didn't even know Paul to go ask for that help. And, and the principle we get here, beloved, is how as believers, we, we need to understand this is the plight of the lost They might not come to you with tears and say, please give me the gospel I need to hear of Christ. But they need exactly that. And you need to find ways to lovingly and graciously point them to Jesus. So we have this second conversion, and it's leading us to the third one. But, and it's what happens here that leads us to the third one. How, how will Paul meet the jailer? It'll, it'll be through the conversion of this lady. Now notice all of this in terms of God's sovereignty and grace. This lady had to be saved so that Paul could be in jail, so that the jailer could be saved. And, and Paul is not here receiving a, a dream from the Lord so that he can go evangelize the jailer. All of this is happening in providence. And, and this is very often how God deals with you and me. That the doors are open to such a degree that you don't have to make a decision. You, you know you need to go. And then they're closed in such a way. You, it's not a matter of praying, should I go or not? It, it's closed. There's nothing I should do. I can do. But here, this lady has been answered. Her, her cry for help has been answered. She has been delivered. Paul and, and Barnabas don't go back to Lydia's house that night because the, the leaders, the, 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 ruler, the, the owners of that lady, they instigate a, a, a big commotion. They are accused of, of being people who have brought unlawful um, ways of living to the, to the Romans. They are accused of evil and they end up in jail. Now notice what's happening. They offered her freedom. So these men says, well, your freedom will be taken away. 
They offered that woman dignity. And the magistrates are saying, yours will be denied. They offered that woman joy and life. And they're saying, your joy will be taken away and your life will be limited. They are given to this jailer. The jailer clearly has a hand of, of, of more violence upon them because it says that the jailer just thrust them um, into jail. Verse 24 says, Having received such a charge, they thrust him into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. It doesn't sound like this jailer is being gentle. He's, he's doing his duty, and, and, and it's not like he's looking with sympathy to Paul and Silas. He, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So, this is one application that it's, it's quite dangerous to be an evangelist. You never know where you will land. But we never evangelize in, in regards to where we might end. We need to understand this. We, we, we evangelize and where we might end is where we evangelize. The Lord says there are people to help. I put their cry as a dream. And, and Paul doesn't know where these people are, so God will take them where they are. And so even as all this injustice is happening to Paul, you see how God wants Paul to understand, don't complain, don't think you failed. Um, um, they meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. And, and he will end up in his next mission field, which will be the jailer's um, f- f- side, you could say, the, the, the jail itself. So that leads us to our third point, the jailer's baptized Family, And I I use these things with somewhat purpose. When we think of Lydia, we see her open heart. That's that's where the text all points to. And then we see this damsel, and she needed deliverance. And it was two deliverances that she needed. And we look at this jailer, and and what, what, what is so majestic is at the end of the story, it's hard for us to conceive that the jailer can somehow abandon his post, go to this house, and have his whole house baptized and go back to the jail. But in a sense, that's what's happening. Not, not in a sense. This is what's happening. And, and, and you can imagine the house as close to the jail as possible. But just the fact that the jailer's household is baptized, that, that becomes something very, very amazing. That in the middle of the night, a jailer is converted and baptized, and not just him, his whole household. And something dramatic happens in that baptism that to me is, is such a precious, beautiful emblem of Christ and what he does in a heart. So let's look at the jailer's baptized family in, in our last point. There, it starts with the singing. That's the first thing we notice um, as they are thrust into the inner jail and their feet are in the stocks. Verse 25, the next verse says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. So this obviously means that the jailer heard them as well. They, in their singing, notice this reality, in their singing, they were communicating a message, they were communicating a heart, they were communicating Christ-likeness, because here they are, they, they, they are suffering for the sake of, of serving others. They are, they are loving to the point of willingness to go to jail. They were praying. 
Then there's the earthquake. That's the second thing that happens. And when we find this earthquake, let, well, let, me, let me read it so that it's right in our minds from the text. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So notice in verse 25 it says they sang praises. That was them communicating. And then verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Now, earthquakes don't commonly open every door. Sometimes they jam them more permanently or hardly. And also the chains don't just fall off. So they were communicating to God praises and prayer. And now God is communicating to them. And of course to the jailer too. God was communicating His power. He was communicating His love. He was communicating His his heart. He was communicating that He is a God who hears. They they were praying and God shakes everything. And and this is not the first thing that this happens. Remember that there was that moment where where the apostles were delivered from prison. They went back to pray in Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The earthquake, so connected with their prayer, was in essence God saying, Yes, I heard your prayer. You spoke to me, I will speak to you. And in this case, God is speaking not just to Paul and Silas to comfort them that I'm hearing your prayer and you will be delivered. But he is communicating to the prison guard. He's communicating to all who are there. Can you imagine the the church of Philippi always would remember this. Lydia was our first convert. Then there was that damsel. Then there was that earthquake at prison. And you can imagine how many souls, probably, not just the jailer. I would imagine quite a few of those prisoners probably became the founding members of the church of Philippi. It was an astonishing event. It was the miracle. There there were layers of miracle. Of an earthquake happening just at that time. A miracle, an earthquake that would cause the chains to open um, um, just precisely for all the prisoners. And and one comment, some commentators point to, we can't say it's the greatest miracle, but you could say it's a very surprising miracle that those prisoners all stayed. Matthew Henry explains it this way. He says, Being sensible, it was by the prayer of Paul and Silas that they, the other prisoners, were, were loosed. They would not stir unless they stirred. And God showed His power in binding their spirits as much as in loosing their feet. He's he's granting there's a miracle there. If you're a thief and you're in jail and the prison has an earthquake and you can free, if you stay, there's something happening in your heart. And it happened in theirs. And, And remember, the life of the jailer depended upon those men not running away. That's why that man was ready to kill himself. He figured as soon as he woke up and understood there was an earthquake, everybody left, he's about to kill himself. So you see how important it was that everybody stayed. God wants this man to to live, not to die. So for him to live, those people need to stay. And so God does a miracle in their hearts, in the hearts of thieves, in the hearts of whatever it was, the crime they committed. They're not typically people who want to stay in jail. None of us would want to stay in jail. I would try to escape. 
But God kept them there. That's another miracle. But then, of course, the miracle of miracles is that when the prison shook, a heart shook. And when this man gets light and he says, what? Because he's about to kill himself. Paul says, no, don't do that. We're all here. He takes light. You, you can understand what happened in this jailer's mind. Wait. An earthquake came. These men can escape. They haven't escaped. Paul had been praying. God heard his prayer. And these people are all here. And he says to Paul the question. And, and this is, is the, the greatest of miracles. What must I do to be saved. That's a shaken heart. Lydia's heart was open. This man's heart was shaken and opened as well. And he asked, I want salvation. How can I have it? And then the answer, the answer, which is so precious, verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. No, beloved, in moments like these where obviously Paul can't say, Okay, every Sabbath I'll go to one article of our faith, and, 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 and Monday we will go a little deeper. Paul does not know how long he has. And it's, it's, you could say that when someone asks to be saved, and you don't have much time to explain things, what we have in verse 31 is, is basically the most simple summary that is biblical and profound and even inspired because God gave this for him to say because it's here in Scripture. He said, this is what you do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he added, and thy house If you believe this truth, even your children and your wife will be blessed by it. Now we find in the Bible several versions of this summary. In in Mark 1.15, we read, repent and believe. In in Matthew 3.2, we hear only repent. And in John 3.16, we hear believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, this means that we don't necessarily have to use all two words. We don't necessarily have to use only repent. And, and we don't necessarily have to use only believe. And in a way, you need to think, where's, where's the need and, and how long do you have? This man seemed like repentance could be dealt with in detail, maybe soon or later. But he needed to believe. He needed to know Jesus is the Lord. And, and, and it does say that he continued to explain more things in this house, in the, in a, in the man's house. Look at verse, um, verse 3 2. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. There you go. That's where he spoke of repentance and faith in detail. That's where he spoke of Jesus resurrecting and that he saw him and that he's the Messiah, that, that when he died on the cross, it was to save sinners. And he believed. And he was saved. Now, I will close in showing, just like we saw in Lydia, just a few verses, fruit of her salvation. We see a parallel here of the same fruit. Lydia's heart was open, and then she opened her house. This man's heart was shaken, and he now will open his house as well. And beloved, I I commend to you that there's something here more profound than I can find words 
But I, I will try, and, and, and you will see what I mean about how profound this is. And it can only be explained by Christ and His grace and His love. Remember, this is the jailer who thrust him in prison and put him in those stocks. And Paul is the man who's suffered that kind of violence. We, we don't know if this is the jailer who would have um, um, given him the whiplashes. But we know this is the jailer who did not wash his whiplashes earlier. But it says in verse 33... And he took them, so the jailer took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. So this indicates, beloved, that this jailer was hard enough to sit there past midnight and he had no desire to wash the stripes of these men who were bleeding, who were hurting. That's the heart of this jailer. But now he has a shaken up heart. He has an open heart. And he opens his heart to the men that he did violence to earlier. And he washes their stripes. In the very next phrase, and was baptized. And you know that the word baptized means a washing. So after Paul's back is washed, Paul uses water ceremonially and washes the man. There's a double washing going on. And, and the jailer is washing a man that he earlier hated. And Paul is washing a man that earlier was very hard to love. I can't say that Paul hated him. I believe Paul loved him. In our human heart, we would hate someone who puts us in stocks and thrusts us in the prison. But he prayed and he sang. And, and Paul probably thought, Lord, save this man May he become a believer. I believe Paul loved this man, but I can firmly say it was a hard man to love. So the jailer washed a man he hated, and Paul washed a man that was hard to love. And no human in his human mind. I won't say in his right mind because it's not right. In our human mind, it never does that. It's in our grace-infused, converted mind that we do that. And not only was there a baptism, there was also breaking of bread. So then in verse 34, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And go back to the vision. Come over and help us. And Lydia was helped and her household. The damsel was helped. And now this jailer was helped with his household as well. And Paul will go on being used of God to help people. Because he has the only thing that really can help to the uttermost, which is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, Paul didn't give money to any of these people. It's these people who are feeding Paul. Paul is not really feeding them any kind of physical food. 
Paul's not giving them clothing. He, he hasn't made tents yet that we see him giving them as gifts, as it were. All Paul has is this simple message. The Messiah promised in the Bible, I saw with my very eyes. He died on Calvary. His blood was shed. He was buried, but he resurrected the third day. When he died, he was a sacrifice for sinners. If you believe in him, your sins will be washed and you will live forever. Even if you die, you will arise in the coming of Christ and you will see him as he is. That was a summary of the gospel. That was what Paul had. That's what we have. Beloved, may the Lord hear our, may the Lord help our ears hear the cry of those who say, come over and help. And when we hear that cry, may it be a burden so profound and so heavy that we will pray for them and that we will go, that we will encourage the missionaries who go, and that we will be brave enough ourselves to go. And all for the glory of God. We have the message that can bring help. True help. Eternal help. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, how we thank Thee. That now, in essence, 2,000 years ago, Lydia and her household was saved. And this lady and this jailer and his household And Lord, we don't know the names of many, but we know, Lord, that Thou graciously did save, did seek and save the lost. Lord, we pray that Thou would save the lost even among us. Lord, those who do not have true faith, who have not believed in Jesus, would Thou open hearts, Lord, We know that there are hearts who may need a shaking like an earthquake of sorts. Would thou do that? Lord, thou art the God who who is in the business of graciously saving souls. And we pray that thou would do it. We pray that thou would use us. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive. Help us to love those who are in such great need. Help us to show the love of Jesus. We, even though we, we see that Paul was not doing charity in a sense, it, we know that it's, it's also what thou dost use as we feed the poor and as we give clothing and as we show love in tangible ways. But help us to do all of these things, Lord, understanding that what we have that is of greater value is the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have... I give thee, help us to say this to souls, Lord, that we may give Jesus and that souls would take him, that men and women everywhere would say, what must I do to be saved? And we pray that they would believe, that they would repent. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.